The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. All right, well, let's, uh, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to pick up the pace and try to do two descriptions tonight. So this is the description of love, and Paul is in the midst of giving us some negatives, what love is not. And he says in verse 5, love does not act unbecomingly, which we looked at last week or week before. It does not seek its own. We saw that last week. Love is not provoked. And then love does not take into an account, into account a wrong suffered. Now, um, we're going to look at these two. Hopefully, we'll get through both of them tonight. But as I was as thinking about, um, about this, so even just knowing that this was coming up, love is not easily provoked. Um, I have already preached this to myself probably four or five times just over the last two days, which indicates something to me. And that is that this is something that we desperately need to hear. And it got me thinking about, so how, how does God actually change us through his word, right? This is, this, is, um, this is why we open the word, study the word, preach the word, is so that God would sanctify us in the truth. Thy word is truth. But how does he do that? And as I was thinking about the, uh, the love chapter here, and uh, a little conversation that I had with Suzanne, I was thinking, this, this, is how, this is how God sanctifies us. First of all, he shows us our sin. So be absolutely clear, you will not grow nor be further sanctified until you see your sin. Right? That's a no-brainer. All right? It's a painful part. And so the Word of God by the Spirit shows us our sin, shows us where we're falling short, shows us where we are uh, missing the mark. But then the Word of God doesn't just say, um, look at how terrible you are. The Word of God then points us to the remedy, the forgiveness of sin, right? So the Bible is never interested in just simply rebuking and correcting. It does that. But the Bible is, under the the work of the Spirit, the Bible is pointing us continually to Christ, so that we run to Christ, we cling to Christ, we, we run to Christ again and again and again, and our, and our hearts are confident that he receives us, that he forgives us. Our hearts are confident that we can't wear him out or 
disgust him or make him absolutely sick and tired of us. We go to him again and again. And so as often as the Spirit of God shows us our sin and brings conviction, that's how often we run to Christ. And we, we bank our hope on things like in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. But it doesn't stop there. That's, that's where uh, an easy gospel, or as uh, Bonhoeffer called it, a cheap grace, that's where that stops, right? Cheap grace just stops with, you saw your sin, ask for forgiveness, okay, done. There is also a sanctifying work of the Spirit where the Spirit of God transforms us. He transforms us by um, not only bringing us to confession and repentance, but he transforms us by renewing our minds so that we see the sin differently. He, he renews us in a way that, so that we are, are sensitized to these things in us. Have you ever felt like you were just laying uh, on, on the Holy Spirit's operating table? Right? And, he's, he, and he is relentlessly pursuing our growth in grace. So as God's people, our biggest desire ought to be to glorify God through growing in grace. That's, that's where our heartbeat should be. A lot of times we just sort of take a status quo view of life and just, you know, we should have a desire to grow. We should have a desire to be more like Christ. And that desire is the work of sanctification. So the word shows us our sin. The uh, spirit leads us to Christ for forgiveness but there's also not only forgiveness in Christ, there's also transformation. There's growth. And that growth comes by changing the way that we think about our sins, giving us fresh grace and fresh supplies of the Spirit to fight those sins. And so as we look at these two negative characteristics tonight... Every single one of us here is going to feel the pinch of it. If you, if, you, if you can stay awake, okay, if you can stay awake, then you will feel the conviction. I promise. But understand that conviction in and of itself has no value unless it leads us to Christ and to the Spirit for sanctification. All right? So... <clears throat> Christian love is not provoked. <laughs> the, um, this, this word that Paul uses here, provoked, is used uh, in a verb form a couple of times. It's used as a noun in its noun form twice. Um, we are to provoke one another to love and good deeds. That's this word in its noun form um, in, uh, in Hebrews 1024. 
Um, just to show you how, how broad this word can be, it is also the same word that we translate sharp disagreement that occurs between uh, Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15.39. There arose a sharp disagreement. Well, there arose a provocation between Paul and Barnabas. So the word is in the passive voice here, which means uh, love is is not provoked. Love is not uh, irritated. Love is uh, does not become angry, and uh, Lau and Nita in their uh, lexicon say, in some languages, the expression to be greatly upset must be rendered idiomatically as his heart was eating him, or his stomach was hot, right? By the way, this this, uh, lexicon is for missionaries who are translating the Bible, so they're trying to, you know, and so here's the idea is, is... Um, there is this um, there is this irritation, right? That's what that's what Paul's talking about an, an irritability, um, uh, an anger. So we have different translations. King James, love is not easily provoked, which is fine. NIV, love is not easily angered. That's that's okay as well. Uh, RSV and ESV actually do a pretty good job. Love is not irritable. Like Professor C.K. Barrett, he said, love is not touchy. You ever know a touchy person? Right? Robertson Plummer, love is not embittered by injuries, whether real or supposed. <laughs> so all, all of those, all of those are good. So as we come to this description, um, we shouldn't look at it in, um, in, in sort of an, its extreme sense, um, love is not provoked to wrath, all right? As if um, uh, Paul's saying love uh, does not uh, lose control and destroy things. That's, that's a given. But it's probably the sense of love is not irritable. Love is not exasperated. Love is not easily angered. So this is this is um, relevant to all of us in here. Would would you describe yourself as at least at times as an irritable person? Are there things that just easily upset you? I I was. Um, last night I was, I was, <laughs> I was trying to explain something to Ariel and I thought it was absolutely clear. And she said, I don't get it. Why don't you get it? Well, it, that, it doesn't make sense to me. You know what I said? It doesn't make sense to me that it doesn't make sense to you. Okay. And in a second, I'm thinking, why 
is this so irritating to me? Right? Oh, that's, that's the question. We all know what it is to be irritable. We know what it is to be easily angered or easily upset. And so the question is, are we the kind of people who are easily upset? Well, the answer is, for the most part, I think, at least the majority of us here tonight would probably say, yeah, I, I, I do. I get easily upset. I, I, I feel like I get irritated easily. You don't have to show your hands, but I mean, how many of you feel like, like you can be, be angered in just a moment, in just a second? Just to be, just to be angry or, or just easily offended. I can't believe they said that to me. I can't believe they did that to me. Easily insulted. Easily wounded. Here's how, here's how we, we uh, you know what a euphemism is, right? It's a nice way to say something. We say, well, I, I'm not easily angered. I'm just easily frustrated. As if somehow frustrated is a, a, a less harsh word, right? When you say, this is really frustrating me right now, you have to remember that you might as well just be saying, I am being greatly irritated right now. You are really upsetting me right now. I have certain expectations of how this is supposed to go, and those expectations aren't being met, and I am ticked about it. This kind of irritable, touchy personality is contrary to Christian love. In fact, if we are this kind of person, we know actually how unloving the attitude can be or how unkind the disposition can be, especially when we stop and consider oftentimes how small and trivial the things are that irritate us. So this whole issue of of being easily upset or angered or being irritable, first of all, you have to understand that this is an internal problem. It is not a circumstantial problem. Being an irritable person, so let's let's dispel some, some myths here. First of all, there is no personality type that warrants being an irritable person. A lot of Christians excuse their sinfulness by simply attributing it to a personality type. That's nonsense. Okay? Nonsense. So, this is not a circumstantial problem either. I only get irritable when... 
The fact is, is that irritability is something that is, that, that plagues my heart. You cannot, you cannot biblically nor in good conscience look around and blame your irritability on other people. No matter who they are. No matter what they've done. Irritability is an indictment of my heart, not of, not of my kids. Or my wife, or my husband, or my neighbor, or my boss. And so external circumstances may be the context in which my irritability comes out, but it's not the cause of my irritability. My own heart is the cause of my own irritability. And so here's what we do. We're good at this, all right? We're masters. Our own irritability is often either denied or justified. Isn't that true? So we, you deny it, you just... <laughs> You know, that little thing that just happened, that's just par for the course. I'm not even going to have to worry about that. That just happens all the time. So you just deny that it's a problem. I mean, everybody's like that, right? Or what we do is we, we like to justify our irritability. Now, here's, here's where things get a little tricky because... Um, justifying irritability typically looks uh, something like this. Um, I didn't deserve that. You ever said that? I didn't deserve that. Deserve to be treated like that. That, that actually may be true. Maybe, maybe you didn't deserve to be treated like that. But you have to understand that the minute that you're, that you're justifying being upset or irritable or even angry because you were treated in a way that you don't deserve, or you turn around and go, well, if, if he wouldn't do that or she wouldn't do that, then I wouldn't be irritated. Here's the problem. Anger and irritability often comes from sinful pride. So Proverbs 13.10, through insolence, right? So that is through, through pride, comes nothing but strife. So pride is the source of strife. And here's, here's the wonderful thing is that Jonathan Edwards explains this quite powerfully. It's good to know that human nature doesn't change, right? Edwards was dealing with the same thing in the 18th century in colonial America. He says, love is contrary to all undue and sinful anger as in its fruit, it is contrary to pride. Pride is one of the chief causes of undue anger. It's because men are proud 
and exalt themselves in their own hearts that they are vengeful and are apt to be excited, that's worked up, and to make great things out of little ones that may be against themselves. In other words, the proud person takes a little offense and turns it into a big offense. Why? Well, because it was against me. Yea, they even treat as vices things that are in themselves virtues when they think their honor is touched or when their will is crossed. And it is their pride that makes men so unreasonable and rash in their anger and raises it to such a high degree. And it continues so long and often it keeps it up into the form of habitual malice. In other words, what Edwards is saying is is that this can become such a way of life with people that it just ends up turning them into a, a, a malicious person. You know why? Because everything's an offense. Everything's an insult. Everything's a sin against me. And so, if you're an irritable person, come to grips with this. Because you're a proud person. Well, let's move on. It will get a little worse before it gets better, I promise. Anger or irritability can come also from believing that we deserve better or that we have certain rights, okay? By the way, that's another manifestation of what? Pride. So, famous passage, of course, in James chapter 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And so, the idea is really simple. Is that, So, here we are. We, we, uh, we want our own way. Have you ever noticed that? I just want my own way. In fact, what's, what's remarkable is to find a person that doesn't. They're just rare. Okay. Maybe like unicorn rare, okay? Here we, we all want what we want. And a lot of times what we do, and I think this is the point of James 4, 1 and 2, is, is that we, we deceive ourselves into thinking that the things that we want are the things that we deserve. And if we don't get them, we get upset, we get angry, we go on the warpath, we become irritable. Now, it's, it's not to say that there aren't certain things that... Uh, so, for instance, as a, as, as a dad, one thing I always expected from my children was respect. Okay? Disrespect was, was not tolerated. 
Now, that's perfectly legitimate. That's fine. That's right and good, right? The question, though, is this. What happens, Brian, when you were disrespected? What happens when I was disrespected is a reflection of the fact that I believed I deserved something, I didn't get it, and so now I'm going to go to war. You know what that means? That means, and I'm... I am 110% in favor of the fifth commandment and parents or children obeying their parents and showing their parents honor and respect. Absolutely, that is, that is a part of God's standard. But do you understand what happens when I don't get respect from one of my kids when they were at home is then I would get angry. That was an indictment against me and what I wanted and what I thought I deserved, not of the fact that they violated God's command and that really that was an issue that was, uh, that was a God issue in their life, not a Brian issue. We don't know how to make the difference. And so parents parent as if it is all about them. You see, if, if James 4, 1 and 2 wasn't true about, about us, um, then when we didn't get what we wanted, um, or let's say legitimately desired, then our heart would not be um, so deeply wounded and insulted and offended. How dare them not show me respect? You understand the fundamental problem of a kid not showing respect to his parent is a, is a Godward problem, not a me problem. But guess what my problem is? Is I'm about me. By the way, you can screw up a lot of parenting by making it about you instead of about God and about your kids' hearts. And so Edwards, again, this is shorter, he says, many persons, I love this, many persons are of such a proud and peevish disposition, don't be peevish, trust me, that they will be angry at anything that is in any respect against them or troublesome to them or contrary to their wishes, whether anybody to be to blame for it or not. <laughs> Edwards says there are people, they, just, they get angry and they have such a peevish disposition. I love that, right? That's a very picturesque. Right? This peevish disposition because anything that goes against them and their desire. Capital offense. One more thing, just, <laughs> just one more thing. Irritability, 
can sometimes be a form of manipulation and control. Don't sell the wickedness of your own heart short. (laughs) Sometimes being irritable is used as a weapon to control how people behave around you. So, if you make it a point to make sure that this person or that person or these people know you do that, I'll go off on you. You know what you're doing? You're letting them know what they can and can't do, what they can and can't say, where they can and can't go. And just like people use anger as a weapon, you you realize people do that, right? They use anger as a weapon. They use anger to control people. An irritable spirit is the same thing. What you do is you create your own little, um, you know, little uh, eggshell zone. So now they're walking through and all of a sudden they realize, oh, eggshell zone, walk with caution. That's my way to control the person that I'm trying to make sure they don't rub me the wrong way. So here's here's the, the terrible thing, is that we all know what it is to be irritable. We all know what it is to be easily angered. Some of us know it better than others, but we all know it to some degree or another. And, and, and here's the thing, is that it is really a hideous, ugly sin. It really is. It's really an awful sin. And... You know, you get to a certain age and you wish that you could turn back the clock and do things differently. Anybody ever think that? Yeah. Okay. Margot and I are the only ones that have ever entertained this. Oh, okay. <laughs> and and you just you just think I wish I wouldn't have been so easily irritated. with my sons. I really do. I've I've sat down and told them I was so impatient with you guys. No you weren't dad. Yes I was. Yes I was. No dad, really. You were you were a great dad. No, I was irritable with you. And you just you just you just realize that that you've just kind of sowed poison. And being easily angered and, and irritable just 
It just hurts people. Which is why love doesn't do that. So Paul's point is, is love is not easily irritated. Love is not easily angered. Here, just just in case you're, you're trying to get yourself off the hook, love is not easily annoyed. I get a little annoyed once in a while. Well, that's what Paul's talking about. There's a reason why love is not like this. I would say there's two, two things that stand out to me. One is, is that love and pride don't coexist. We already talked about this under pride, but because when, when pride is ruling the heart, the heart then is easily annoyed or exasperated because it takes virtually everything as an insult or an offense to be angry over. When the heart is easily exasperated, it's often filled with, with resentment and bitterness. And resentment and bitterness just, just withers and kills love. It is really hard to be a loving person when you've got resentment in your heart. So... Here's, here's how I would do this translation if I were to have like my own like cotton patch version. You guys remember the cotton patch version? You ever? Anybody? It's like a hillbilly version of the Bible. Yeah, so I would, I would say something like this. Love does not make others walk on eggshells. Why? Because... Love doesn't get easily annoyed. Why? Because love considers the other person. Love isn't trying to control anybody or assert oneself over somebody else. And you could you could say it like this love love doesn't sweat the small stuff. Love overlooks petty transgressions. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> wow, do you know that we could have a revolution if we just started practicing giving people the benefit of the doubt? Instead of always assuming that we know exactly what they're thinking and what their motives are. Anthony Thistleton, who's a British commentator, says, Love, Paul argues, does not become exasperated into peak, P-I-Q. That's a great word, by the way. Partly because patience patience delays exasperation and partly because lack of selfishness diverts a sense of self-importance away from reacting on the grounds of wounded pride. So be on guard about being easily annoyed or irritated. Be on the alert. How many of you have thought seriously enough about identifying the stuff that easily irritates you? Why would I get irritated with Ariel? Because... She didn't understand one of my brilliant 
crystal clear, profound explanations of something. I want to tell you why. Because there's pride in this heart that manifests itself by acting like, I wish you were as smart as me. That's what it is. It's what it is. You don't sugarcoat it. Laid there in bed thinking, why do I do that? It's because you're a jerk. It's because you're proud, you're arrogant. You don't want to have to explain stuff. You're impatient. I mean, did it ever occur to me that maybe I wasn't as clear as I thought I was? No, it's got to be her fault. That's, that, is a, that is a cancer. So you see it and you start to realize, I've got a tendency, I've got a tendency to be a real jerk with, with that situation. I know that as, 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 as I enter into that, there's stuff in my heart that's going to come out. And so I got to be aware of that. Which means the next time she says, I, I, don't, I don't get that. Watch out, heart. Beware, heart. You're walking on dangerous ground. But you see, if you, if you throw enough uh, tantrums or you, you pick up your marbles and go home enough, then guess what? Then, then you train the person not to say, I don't understand that. You demonic control freak. It's what it is. So, I'm like, beware. Guard your heart. Make sure you know your weaknesses and your tendencies. And when, and when you begin to see it happen, you got to recognize it for what it is. This is the renewing of your mind according to the word of God. You got to be able to see it if you're going to stop it. And you see it, and you run to Christ. Lord, help me to be patient right now. Lord, help me not to be irritable right now. Lord, help me to give, help me to be slow to speak right now. Help me to keep a smile on my face right now. Seriously. That's a good prayer. Lord, help me keep us. So I have, a, I have a real serious problem, and that is I cannot actually, uh, I don't have very good, put it this way, I don't have very good control over expressing or holding back what I 
think it's all over my face. So I'm at the dentist and she goes, would you stop rolling your eyes at me? And I said, <laughs> and I, I said, I said, sorry, I didn't know I was doing that. And she goes, yeah, she goes, you keep doing that. She goes, I only do that to one person and that's my husband. And I can tell that you don't want to be here. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> so I keep my eyes shut the rest of the time, you know? So you got it. You, I mean, so the Lord just helped me to keep a smile on my face. Help me not to grimace. Help me not to roll my eyes. Okay. By the way, if your kids roll their eyes, before you go smacking them, you might want to ask where they learned it. No, not school. Yeah, from the school of mother and father. So you seek Christ, helps, you seek his help right away. Lord, give me love right now. Help me, help me. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Next, this one's a breezy one. We'll be through this in no time. Christian love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Right? This is the easy one, right? <laughs> No, everybody's like, oh, yeah, okay. No, 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 doesn't work that way. So the uh, King James is almost certainly wrong. Love thinketh no evil. That is uh, almost certainly incorrect. It's literally love does not reckon the evil. Love does not take into account the evil, the evil that's done to you, right? So here's here's the, the, the word legizomai is this wonderful like, calculating word. So the picture is, is the bookkeeper who's got his ledger with his itemized lists and his exact accounts. So my, my great, great grandfather came over from the great state of Wisconsin to California in 1904. His father came over from Germany. He kept ledgers. They had a huge, huge dairy ranch. Huge. And um, it was one of the most successful uh, dairy ranches in Northern California for a very long time. And he was a meticulous bookkeeper. So my sister found all these ledgers. She gave me one. 1904. Actually has where he, when he bought the property... You know, you know, 400 acres for, you know, $2,000 or something. But he'd have pigtail, five cents. Pig ears, five cents. He wrote down absolutely everything. So if he sold a pig... He wrote down what he charged for everything. Instead of just going, eh, I sold the pig, you know, 12 bucks. It was that meticulous. You go page after page after page. This is what some Christians love to do. They have entire ledgers dedicated to a person. The person's picture is on the front. And they have the date and the offense 
and it goes back for years. Now, they don't literally write it down, but guess what? They don't forget a thing. They don't forget a thing. They have, they have this, this ironclad memory of every wrong that's ever been done to them. And so Charles Hodge says um, that Christian love does not lay the evil which it suffers to the charge of the wrongdoer, and instead of being resentful, it has a forgiving attitude. Konzelman, love keeps no score of wrongs. And so, so love means that I am not to be a list maker and an account keeper of the wrongs that I have suffered. Is this important for husbands and wives? I always know that I'm in for, for uh, the long haul when the couple sits down and, and they start in 1984. Well, in 1984, we were on a vacation, and that's where it all started. And they have a list, and, that li- and they can rehearse the list. And in fact, if, if, if they're asked to give, um, you know, a description of that person, the only thing that comes to their mind are, are no qualities of that person at all, simply the wrongs that they've suffered at that person's hand. What about parents and children? Is that easy? When you're little, you don't, Okay, that's the fifth time he spilled the milk. You don't do that. Oh, but as that kid starts to grow up and become an adult and have a mind and a will of their own, and that mind and will are not compatible with your mind and will, all of a sudden now this person is, 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 is the source of my misery. Meticulous record-keeping. Some people excel, they're very good at nursing memories of being wronged. They'll recount the the memory uh, at the drop of a hat, you know. There you are at the New Year's Eve party and everybody's having a great time and, and, um, and, and boy, well, I got a story for you. They can't let anything go. Now, one of the reasons why is because the person that was wronged feels that if they don't keep score and don't keep the scoreboard updated and lit up, then they fear that their suffering will be forgotten. And that the person will have the license to do it over again. Unless I keep the scoreboard 
up and running and the and and lit up that person may th- if 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 i if i act like i'm not keeping an account they're going to be free just to to walk all over me paul says love does not keep an account of wrong suffered. How in the world do you live like this? How in the world do you do you do you live the kind of life where you you don't keep an account? This isn't overly hard, really, in theory. It's only hard in practice. I have to realize that God in Christ. has not kept an account of my wrongs. David says in Psalm 32, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not charge to his account his sins. Psalm 130 verse 4, If thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. That's the gospel. That God didn't count your trespasses against you. God didn't keep the record of things wrong. You know what he did with that record? He nailed it right to the cross. That's what he did with it. You know, it's, don't you think, don't you think that it is profoundly hypocritical for us to say, my sins, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sins not in part, but the whole are nailed to the cross and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul, but I've got this, 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 and this against you. It's utter hypocrisy. To sit there and to rejoice that your record has been expunged and then to turn around and make sure you keep accurate records of of those that have wronged you. When, When redeeming love actually controls our thoughts and our heart, it actually pries us loose from the desire of keeping score and making lists. 
So when, 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 when redeeming love is, is permeating my heart, you know, what I, you know what I'm looking to do? Love covers a multitude of sins. That's what I'm looking to do. What am I looking to do? Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Right? Now, are there times when confrontation over a wrong is necessary? And the answer is, of course, of course. Matthew eighteen fifteen, Galatians six one. Of course, there are times where we have to go. But here's, here's the question is, is, why am I going? What am I doing? What's my goal here? Right? It's my goal to grab that puppy by the nap of its neck and rub its nose in its own pee, hoping it doesn't do it again. Or is it restoration? Now, even when, and, and remember, there are times where, where confrontation may not be able to happen. Remember, Paul says, be at peace with all men. Whenever possible, then you get this, insofar as it depends on you. So, so Paul recognizes there are times where you can't fix stuff, right? And, and we all know that. So even when you can't fix stuff, love still doesn't keep track. There's no harboring and nursing memories of wrong done. There's no ledgers with exact, detailed entries. How does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen just because you're a good person. And it doesn't happen just because you're a nice person. I was talking to a a guy not that long ago and and um, we were talking about some conflict he was having in his life. And he says, he says, Pastor, don't worry about it. He says, I've, I've forgiven all of them for all of that. And uh, I said, really? He goes, yeah. He says, that's just the kind of guy I am. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. no, it's just the kind of guy I am. <laughs> I just, you know, I just kind of go through life and I don't really. No, no, no. It, it, takes, it, takes, it takes grace and it takes work. But I realize at the end of the day that the Spirit, the very Holy Spirit of the one who said, I will forgive your iniquities and your sins I will remember no more. He lives in me. So it can be done. It can be done. And so, Christian love is not easily 
irritated. It's not provoked. And Christian love doesn't keep track. In other words, it's quick to forgive. Christian love actually resists this pride-motivated irritability. And Christian love actually, when, 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 when Christ's love has the upper hand in my heart, then it fights against me nursing wounds. When Christ's love has the upper hand in my heart, then it drives me to draw strength and grace from the God who's never irritable or touchy. (laughs) It drives me to the one who freely took the entire account for my sins. put them on his son, and then freely forgave me. Nothing in this world can actually fabricate this kind of love. This is supernatural love. And it flows from one place, and that is our Lord Jesus, who offered himself up And showed us the love of God that goes beyond anything we could ever imagine. So that's where you go. You run back to that fountain again and again and again. And you drink there again and again. Lord, I am so struggling with this person. They irritate me so badly. They annoy me so badly. Run back to the cross. I'm not saying God will speak to you audibly, but you just might hear something that goes like this. You know, if I were as easily annoyed with you as you are with them, you'd be in hell right now. So, God help us. God help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you. Thank you that you love us enough to bring conviction to us. And thank you that not only do you wound us, but you heal us. And Father, we pray for all of us tonight. We pray for ourselves. We, we plead with you that you would help us not to be so irritable, but to be more loving. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be the kind of people that forgive and don't keep long lists of things. Father, we pray even tonight that your Holy Spirit would be at work in such a way that we would take those lists and throw them away. Take them to the foot of the cross and just leave them there. We pray that you'd help us. Lord, we live in a hostile world and there's a lot of sin all around us and a lot of sin in us. And these are tall orders. But we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.